if your data does not provide some causality, I think you're just going into many blind alleys, as um, the great uh, Plato used to say in the allegory of his cave. Uh, you have to have some sunlight in, in the world of prisoners. Um, so what does causality mean? I could go very deep into what trust means and uh, you know how do you credential and how do you consent and how do you decide on when a model is good? <laughs> how do you understand what risk in the model is? And on the understanding side, uh, if a physician signs off on your uh, method or, or, or a well-known scientist, what is a post hoc review of this data set? What does sparse data mean? What does dirty data mean? You have to qualify that. So. My name is Kashif, and this is BioRadio, a group of biologists turned bioinformaticians bring you into the world of research and development informatics by interviewing the people responsible for implementing systems and technologies to a unique and diverse set of use cases. An upsurge of scientific data generation and consumption have provided novel approaches to procuring and operationalizing research data. Data Fabric is one of the up and coming trends with strong prospects of becoming mainstream. Through Data Fabric, business applications, end users, data management and analysis tools can securely access and process data stored across locations in order to get a complete picture of their data. How do data fabrics differ from data lakes and data hubs? And how will they make other solutions like the data warehouse and data lake obsolete? To talk about this, today we're here with Sanjay Joshi. Could you please introduce yourself? Uh, thank you, Kashef. My name is Sanjay Joshi. I'm currently um, Global CIO for Healthcare and Life Sciences at a cybersecurity and trust company called Tanium. I cut my teeth on science and uh, <laughs> did a lot of wet biology for a while, genomics, and then did data for that space as well. Awesome. And uh, roughly, how long have you been in the in the healthcare life sciences space? Oh, Lord. Space? <laughs> you want to go there? <laughs> uh, I would say close to uh, 32 years now. Wow. Wow. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to kick things off, from your perspective, how do you describe data fabric? Um, and, and I guess, how is it different from other uh, kind of older technologies, more, more mainstays like the data lake or, or, uh, uh, or data hub ideas. Yeah. Uh, warehouse as well. So warehouses were there, gosh, uh, about 15, 20 years ago. Um, there used to be these things called expert systems in um, healthcare technologies. I'm talking about circa oh, late 80s, early 90s. So that's where the concept of the warehouse came. Um, and that was more rectangular data, uh, just row column kind of stuff. Um, so flat uh, tables. Then, yes, correct. And that's not gone away. In fact, there's a lot of discussion on the value of integrating, for example, a data warehouse with uh, the new technologies in the cloud, you know, as a service, uh, serverless, and so on. Uh, data Lake uh, was more a... Um, kind of a centralized storage concept, if you will, uh, both in the unstructured data space, as well as an approach to understanding, you know, how do you move data from um, your current data center to the cloud and back? Sure, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can get an amazing clip. So you, you talked about three kind of layers of data producing and consumption applications, right? You started off with the legacy, what you termed as like the data lake, which is monofunction applications, like a, like a core, financial app, for instance. And then you talked about the second layer of that, which is data warehouses, kind of the idea of a middleware repository for storing and organizing data produced both by local and connected apps. 
uh, is is kind of the evolution. And then now we're moving to this cloud based uh, cloud based platforms and integrations. What what is the data fabric, and and more specifically, how is it changing the landscape within within research informatics within biopharma? I'll I'll start from um, uh, a very interesting paper that was written by um, uh, a guy named Scully out of Google. Uh, this was when uh, you know cloud was kind of a twinkle in people's eye. Multi cloud was very very early. Uh, the biggest boxes that change data. The first one Scully and et al talked about were was configuration. Um, so the configuration of where things lie in your system is critical. And um, uh, from there on, you have to worry about, you know, what are the sources of data? Sources of data and sources of, of metadata as well. And I'll, I'll, these are all essential components to a fabric. Um, and then from there on, you say, you know, what does my serving infrastructure look like? You know, cloud is just a, um, it, it is a, is a service infrastructure, if you will. Uh, yes, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of um, uh, beautiful high-performance stuff you can do within the cloud if all your data is there. Um, and I'll give you a very small snippet. Uh, take all of real-world evidence in, in the life sciences. Um, that is trying to understand how do you do clinical studies and clinical draws better. That slice of real-world evidence that resides in medical records is only about 10 to 15%. You have to go get uh, the other stuff, and uh, I used to be an imaging guy, so uh, same ratio, by the way, 20, 15 to 20% of all images that you want to understand the world better from a patient perspective resides in large academic medical centers. The rest is out all on the edge. Uh, it's in small clinics, it's in places you don't know, and now we have these new areas of genomics, which actually is complicating things even more because you have to stitch these data together. I'll talk about that in terms of metadata pretty soon. So you have to serve all this data. You have to find out where it is. Then you have to extract features and the metadata. It can already be extracted. Then you're a very mature organization. If you're not mature, then you have to build an ontology. You have to build a taxonomy. Uh, this is where I'm getting into more of the graph world where you say, you know, I have a very, very large uh, expanse of data. And um, then you start putting process management on top of that. And then you start putting analysis and uh, tools on top of that. And finally, this little box in the middle of uh, Scully's paper, uh, this little black box was machine learning. <laughs> so surrounding this little uh, planet was this massive uh, multiverse of uh, uh, complex issues. Let me stop. Right, so, so you mentioned configuration sources of data and metadata, service in infrastructure, and then being able to extract extract the metadata, right? So right. I'm assuming that means unstructured data uh, and- Both. In fact, uh, the problem and the challenge in healthcare is um, there is no clean data. That's a myth. <laughs> uh, data hygiene is one of those myths. It's like security hygiene. It's a myth. You have to go out there, scrub the floors, get your nose in it. <laughs> It is hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it was, had a previous episode of BioRadio where we're chatting about uh, AI and, and one of the most expensive pieces of that, the, the, the most laborious piece is the labeling of your data. Yep. Just labeling and tagging uh, similarly for fabrics. I mean, you, if you cannot have a good fabric if you don't have good metadata. And let me kind of jump into that space. So, you know, there are multiple types of metadata. 
Um, there's descriptive metadata, there's administrative metadata, uh, there's technical, and then you have all the GDPR stuff, governance and regulatory compliance, it, comp uh, structure, markup. Right. You could, I could go on for hours just on metadata. It is a, you know, if you don't have a library approach to ontology, this becomes a very difficult issue uh, as you build a fabric. And then there's integration, which I mentioned already. Um, then there's the understanding of what algorithms exist um, from the metadata space and also what analytics uh, ex explorations happen because there's exploratory analysis and there's confirmatory analysis. When I, when I ask people, um, you know, why did you go to the cloud? I think the answer usually is, you know, I could do everything in one place and that's great. But uh, then the next question I ask them is how much of this is in, is in production? And it's a pitiable 5% of all projects that are in production. So getting to that get next gate from your exploratory to your confirmatory um, means things like model validation and governance and compliance, which is also very hard to do. Right, so kind of moving in from sandbox environment into production Correct. where it's having a real impact. I, I'm beginning to understand your definition of, of data fabric, right? Like these various components and everything is kind of talking together, everything is coordinated. Uh, from a life sciences, like a biopharma perspective, What's the advantage? What what do I gain from from moving to this uh, data fabric versus you know like a monolithic application or or like a data warehouse type environment? Um, yeah, I think uh, if I were to put it in three buckets, what I just talked about, I would put it in uh, an integration layer, a knowledge layer, and a and a catalog or a metadata layer. So those kind of define where you want to go as, as an organization. For life sciences organizations, I would. Uh, and if I would go from uh, preclinical to approval, I would say it's probably four buckets. The FDA has defined this very well. One is the preclinical R&D. Um, you have in the R&D space, you know, it's more complex because you have biological drugs now. Uh, targeted identification, uh, of course, things are simplified with uh, AlphaFold coming out and you say, oh, oh, the proteomics world is now expanded. I used to do pro proteomics for a little while. Um, then you have screening and uh, basically lead identification. And you also have uh, stratification of the patient population. That's uh, earlier in the, in, the, in the process now. If I just take one piece, which is the R&D piece, um, I would say divided that into things like computational chemistry. Uh, I would say computational biology and structural biology now. Uh, then I would put imaging, which is a very critical piece. Imaging includes everything all the way from crystallography to radiology, to genomics, to proteomics. I classify all of those as, uh, as imaging. And then you have things like um, next gen generation sequencing, which BioRad plays uh, quite an interesting role there. And then comes the data. So all, the, all this has to fit into this bioinformatics bucket and uh, you have to kind of move that into um, how do I build a device, uh, device quote unquote, or a pipeline platform for all my 12 pipelines in my, my pharmaceutical company. And then you have to say, uh, I have to take this now to the real world. So what does that mean in terms of um, uh, just an information science perspective? What does the world look like in the clinical space, uh, clinical development, uh, biometrics, I can go on. But I think just from that R&D space, though, those are big buckets. Then there's clinical studies where you have uh, now you have xeno, um, um, uh, xenobiotics and xenografts and so on. Very complex world, again, of unstructured data. You have in, in retro, in vivo, and then, um, and then the whole standards ecosystem starts building up. 
then you have clinical trials, phase one, two, three, and then you have the whole FDA approval process, uh, eval approval and manufacture and post-release uh, phase four, if you will. So let me stop there. It's a lot to digest, but <laughs> it's yeah, so, there, right? So. <laughs> so that was quite helpful. I guess more specifically, what are the advantages of, of moving towards adopting this like data fabric strategy, right? Like, you know, obviously data are becoming more accessible. Um, do you have any applications or use cases where that's translated into faster time to approval or just um, better patient stratification, better lead identification or screening? Like what, what are the tangible benefits that you've um, seen? Uh, I uh, would say, like yeah, getting closer to the last foot and to the patient. Uh, I had never imagined in my lifetime, I would see the mashup of, uh, both the uh, biopharma industry and kind of the healthcare industry happened so quickly, uh, but we had a uh, virus that kind of uh, <laughs> created this uh, massive le lever, Perfect if you storm. will. Uh, right. yeah. yeah. And so if I were to look at it from a data management and data fabric maturity perspective, uh, there are some very, very specific buckets on in terms of advantages. So the more, um, the more you do the fabric, the better you get at knowledge. Uh, because now you can actually uh, link things uh, uh, and jump links and get to things that were not coordinated before. And this, we were kind of forced again to do this last year. Um, and, and, but with that comes more interesting issues like data governance, for example. And I think we're, we're kind of wading into this, but all of the fabric issues makes uh, the data management strategy uh, go better, uh, the data governance go better, Data quality is better. So I, I kind of preclude uh, uh, my statement uh, earlier that, you know, all data in healthcare is dirty. And, you know, how do you get to better hygiene? The data, if you improve data quality, tagging, labeling, uh, then just the general- At the, uh, at the onset. Correct. <laughs> like at, just at, the productionalization of, uh, of the fabric becomes better. Then you start looking at platforms and architectures and say, you know, what is the best uh, of breed for me to pick from the fabric to go say, you know, let's do this here in the cloud. Let's do that in terms of an API. And let's look at real world as a, maybe a mobile application, if you will. And then finally, when I, I, I'll come back to where I started, which was operations. And the operations guys are happy now because now you're tying all these things together and there's metrics available for the executive team to go perform on, which is the business. Yes. Got it. So if, if I'm understanding you correctly, like number one fundamentally is just being able to translate your data into knowledge, something actionable, whether it's, you know, better lead identification or better outcomes research, real world evidence type things, just being able to, to now that you've got all of your data together, you can actually make insights off the back of that. Um, the second one, if I understand correctly, is around being able to decide where you want to set your infrastructure, you know, whether that's local, like on-prem, on the cloud, on a mobile app, uh, on the web, like you can decide now that all of your data are, are connected. Um, and, and the third piece that you were mentioning is just the, the better insights and visibility of your data, like knowing exactly like the traceability of your data, where it's coming in, where it's going out and, and being able to, to kind of govern all of that. If, if I'm capturing yep, it correctly. Yep. Um, and then in the hygiene piece, and I, I'll keep harping on this, uh, good labeling and tagging is extremely important for good clinical science. Uh, it's extremely important for good IT operations. It is extremely important for um, just understanding what pieces of data you pick up for your uh, machine learning uh, algorithms. It is extremely important for security as well. So the same source now provides uh, four branches for success. 
earlier you mentioned uh, dirty data. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a bit. Um, but let's talk about the disadvantages, right? Um, are there any disadvantages to data fabric? What are they? And, and I'm sure these also come in the form of like challenges or obstacles in organizations moving to, to this concept of a, of a data fabric. Yeah, the, the only big, big hairy one, I would say, um, the, you know, they're kind of related. What I'm going to say is um, one is ethics and the other is governance. Um, I mean, we're kind of wading into this new era of um, making uh, data-based decisions uh, that, that have intrinsic value. Um, but as you saw yesterday, uh, the WHO recognized Henrietta Lacks. Um, you know, where, who is providing this data as we kind of beg, borrow, steal, that era is kind of coming to an end. Uh, we have to have more consent. So what does credentialing look like for that data set? Uh, which is why I brought up, um, you know, things like federated, federated learning and knowledge workflows and who owns the data, who mines the data, uh, who touches the data, who governs the data. I mean, all these are um, big hairballs that we have to kind of wade into very soon. <laughs> you mentioned the ethics and then you, the second point was data governance, meaning Correct. data, okay. Data ownership. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I read the, 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 the book about, uh, Henrietta Locke's, uh, must've been a few years ago. Right. And, and I had no idea. I mean, I, I worked in a lab and worked on HeLa cells. Right. And I, that's, I never that's made the connection. <laughs> yeah. Her name is Loretta, by the way, but she was called Henrietta. So it was right. probably called Lola, not HeLa cells. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, no data, data ownership is definitely a challenge. Uh, I guess. So if, if we take out that, like the, the, the data ownership side of it in a perfect world where we've got consent to use the data that we've, that we've gathered, uh, are there any technical or business or scientific drawbacks or disadvantages to, to this idea of a data fabric? Like, are, are there any, uh, like, I will give you a very simple example. Uh, we're kind of talking on zoom right now. Um, how many, how many, um, uh, communications platforms talk to each other? Can I send my zoom data to teams? Can I send my teams data to WebEx? Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, these are leading edge applications that we're kind of communicating on. I think data is the same story. Um, you know, you mentioned the data hub. Um, for many years, uh, R&D uh, organizations have created this data hub. Uh, there, there's a molecular hub and there's actually the pipeline that I talked about, the clinical hub, and then there's a legal hub and uh, there's an exchange. So, you know, let me bring up uh, the data commons uh, concept now, where you say, you know, you start, if you want to start northbound, you would say, hey, I start with a, uh, a data marketplace, if you will, and then start moving southbound into a lot of uh, service layer hooks and tools. Uh, then I move into application layers, then, you know, uh, scientific analysis, um, scientific data management system, SDMS, and lab limbs and lists. Limbs is uh, what BioRad's very familiar with. Uh, lists is on the healthcare side, lab inf information systems. Um, and then you have to say, uh, and this has been a conundrum for, um, for genomics, you know, what is a reference data set? <laughs> we, we thought, you know, doing five humans and creating a reference genome was the answer, but no, if you go, you know, you, you and I are 
you know, brown skinned and our genome, genome is a little different from other people. And it, you know, even today, 75% of uh, all whole genome sequences are Northern European. Caucasian, right, yeah. Caucasian. So, uh, right. so there's the, that other challenge of what a reference mean and therefore what standards mean. And then uh, how do you bring in uh, what are called uh, patient reported data or user defined data sets, which is kind of the unknown at this point. And then how do you put this all in a platform? And so I kind of nicely wrapped that all the all those up from a data commons perspective, which is ultimately what people want, right? So. Sure, right. So stepping back uh, just for a minute, um, obviously we've all heard the 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 adage, right? Uh, garbage in, garbage out. Let, let's talk about dirty data, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and what what the implications are downstream, right? You you. Uh, really nicely outlined, you know, kind of the, the steps of drug development. And if your source is bad at the beginning, what the implications can be downstream. So let's talk about that a bit. And then also, uh, how do you clean the data, right? What are your approaches to adding context to your data? I think one part of it is just being able to tag your data and metadata and, and just making it more useful. How do you, how do you approach that? Uh, let me take this from two different angles, Kashif. Uh, let me uh, put my quality hat on and, and I will tell you the four or five principles that I've seen that have worked well. Uh, I keep coming back to this library, this ontology taxonomy of data. And uh, that's a very important thing to me. So you not only have to have, um, as we kind of barrel into this world of uh, questionable ethics and what are you using this data for, I think there has to be both data oversight and metadata oversight as well. So there has to be a, a role within the organization uh, that tells you, you know, what are you doing with this data? Um, uh, who are the folks that are actually uh, uh, touching this data? And um, uh, the other part therefore is, uh, you know, wh who are the stakeholders involved? Not only within your corporate uh, four walls, but, but who are the stakeholders outside? I, I keep talking about patients. You know, who are the physician stakeholders? Who are the patient stakeholders? Who are the um, you know long-term care stakeholders? Uh, that's one thing. The other part is once you have some of those hard <laughs> issues uh, somewhat nailed down, you come back and say, uh, what is the shared infrastructure? So there's a lot of collaborative innovation happening in this world. Um, therefore, you know, what does that shared profile look like? Who are the users in the shared profile? What does the architecture look like for the shared profile? And finally, you have to come back to the world that says, hey, we live in a, you know, in a capitalist democracy. What is the business value of all this? What is the return of investment? Uh, a lot of people tell me if your data governance and just your data fabric, uh, similar to AI and machine learning, uh, if your return is not 7x minimum, you know, why am I investing all of this? I can actually do this with a standard uh, uh, distributed rectangular database, uh, data warehouse, uh, quote unquote. Um, and so that's one end of the spectrum. I'll quickly kind of uh, come back to my other on end of the spectrum, which is once you have all this, what is the intersection set between uh, understanding your data and trusting your data? Um, this is where I, I stand up on a couple of soapboxes all the time and talk about causal inference. If your data does not provide some causality, I think you're just going into many blind alleys as um, the great uh, Plato used to say in the allegory of his cave. 
Uh, you have to have some sunlight in the, in the world of prisoners. Um, so what does causality mean? I could go very deep into what trust means and uh, you know, how do you credential and how do you consent and how do you decide on when a model is good? <laughs> how do you understand what risk in the model is? And on the understanding side, uh, if a physician signs off on your uh, method or, or, or a well-known scientist, what is a post hoc review of this data set? What does sparse data mean? What does dirty data mean? You have to qualify that as well. Let me get off my soapbox. No, no, that was quite helpful. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting, which is the 7x ROI. Could, could you describe that a bit more, like tangibly, is, what yeah, does that mean? This is, if you have an interesting project, if you think it's going to take some money, tell me what's it going to bring back to the company. That's the internal part. And uh, as a society, you have an external part of that as well. You know, what is the benefit to society in the end uh, of some of these technologies? Technologies without a use is you know, just a technology. So um, uh, what do they say? You know, data without causality is just your opinion. <laughs> so, sure. So sure. Uh, the, the 7X number comes from the venture capital world. Um, right. You know, the more you know, 10X will used to be the number, but 7X is a more real number. Even 2X is a good number. But in this world of massive scales, I would say uh, I've heard this number 7X much more often. Wow. Yeah, definitely ambitious goals, right? Uh, yep. Or an ambitious, uh, uh, not goal, but target. <laughs> yeah, and I've people, I've heard people say, I'm not going to mention names here. That's a let's stick with warehouses, because you're not bringing me enough enough, enough uh, value. ROI. Right. Very yeah. simple. <laughs> so, what I guess this is kind of my final question: What does the future for data fabric look like? Um, you know, a, do you see uh, do you see the the rapid adoption and, and it becoming uh, mainstream? Yeah. Where do you see this going? I would, again, say that innovation, uh, um, and this is, my, um, this is my Friday joke, if you will, um, innovation always trickles down. The DOD, the defense guys always get the coolest technologies. Uh, following right after or in parallel, I would say, is life sciences. Any technology you take, you take multi-cloud. I heard the first thing about multi-cloud more than 10 years ago. And I heard very mature people saying, how do I boot systems in the cloud? And how do I boot half of my stuff in the cloud and half of my stuff here? I mean, these are discussions I've had 10 years ago. So always the earliest adopters, always folks that got to maturity very early on. And of course, other people adopted um, very quickly. And you see that financial services is kind of uh, overtaken a little bit because the regulations in, in life sciences are very tough, um, right. even though financial service regulations are tough. So I would say the adoption is going to happen very quickly. Uh, the experimentation is going to happen very quickly. And um, I would say some of the harder uh, challenges like ownership is also going to be resolved, starting with life sciences first. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, uh, biotech pharma to me have been, you know, uh, kind of technology averse, um, very conservative when it comes to, to, uh, to new emerging technologies kind of in general. Healthcare right? is the bottom of the pile. Uh, somewhere in the middle is manufacturing and, uh, and so forth. So I would say life sciences has always, at least on the R&D side, which is where I think uh, most of us are involved in, right. um, are very early adopters. Excellent. Thank you for listening to BioRadio. I'd like to thank Sanjay for being our guest today, talking about the future of data management platforms. I'd also like to thank the listeners. To join the conversation, visit our blog, biorad.io, and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is an original creation of Biorad Laboratories. Biorad is a trademark of Biorad Laboratories Incorporated in certain jurisdictions.
All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.